Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au It's a real privilege to have Pastor Bruce Hills with us today as a guest speaker. Uh, Pastor Bruce is uh, not a stranger to our church. He ministers here on a regular basis. He's the International Director uh, of World Outreach. It's a missions agency supporting missionaries throughout the world. It's an agency that that, uh, um, has a a strength in reaching unreached people groups throughout the world uh, or a passion to reach unreached people groups. There are people across this world that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is an organization uh, whose strength, whose passion is to reach out to those groups. And so as a church, we've been partnering with them for, for some years now. When we give to missions, we're actually, part of the funds that we give actually go towards supporting missionaries uh, with uh, world outreach. Um, Pastor Bruce has been in full-time ministry for over 30 years. Uh, he's married to Fiona, three, three children and one grandchild. He's the author. He's an author, speaker, international speaker. And he's just passionate about the things of God and passionate about people coming to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not a religion, but Jesus Christ. And uh, I know that God is going to speak to us today. So please open your hearts as he comes to share the word. Give him a warm welcome as he comes. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you, Pastor Joe. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. That's, that's really good for the broadcast, isn't it, uh, doing that? Great great to be with you this morning. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to be able to be in this church today. And uh, thank you for coming. Um, I bring you greetings from t- a COVID-free Melbourne. And, uh, you know, last year, as you know, we had one of the strictest and longest lockdowns in the world. And last year, for nine months, all I did was preach to a camera in, in my office. The only feedback I had was from my dog who occasionally was talking to someone who was walking past the house. And I'd have to stop filming the message and rewind and and do that point all over again. So today, if I say something that you enjoy, please give me some feedback. Because all I've had is the dog just bark for nine months. So it's great to be preaching to real people today. Fantastic. As your pastor mentioned, um, this church is one of our partners in what we're doing across the majority world. Um, I was saying to the Italians this morning that in the world today, there's about 17,000 different identifiable people groups, and of those, about 7,100 of those are classified as unreached, which means they've got so few Christians they can't evangelize their own people, disciple their own people, or plant their own churches without external help. That's about 40% of the world, or about 3.2 billion people. Now, there are many issues in the world today that people get very upset about, but to me, the greatest moral issue in the world today is that someone can live their whole life and never have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Well, we want to make a difference among those unreached people groups, and and we are doing that. And through your church, you you are partnering, you are part of that as well. It's not just me, It is we, and I want to say thank you. And in just a moment, I want to show you a clip that just gives you a little insight into the work that we're doing, and then I'll get right right, right into the message today. But I just want to play you a clip about our mission, and then I'll get right right into the message this morning. Thank you. And so your church is part of that, reaching the unreached. It's, It's very, very exciting. 
Okay, I want to come straight straight to my message this morning. And uh, as you'll see on the screen behind me in a moment, on New Year's Eve, there's always fireworks that go off all over the world as everyone celebrates a brand new year coming. And at the start of every year, many people set fresh goals for the year ahead. Some have resolutions, some have ambitions for the 12 months that is to come. For example, I have got a goal to lose the three kilograms that I inherited during COVID. In fact, this morning I tried to do my coat up and they just wouldn't meet. It wasn't very good at all. But in this message today, I want to speak to you about some words from Jesus that articulate the highest priority and focus that we should have for the year ahead. It is summed up in the words of what we call the Great Commandment, which is found in Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. Listen to the words of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself, for there is no commandment greater than these. And in this message today, I'm going to explore what it means in practical terms to fulfill this great, great commandment. So the title of my message today is The Great Commandment Revisited. And my text today will be found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. But first of all, for a couple of minutes, let me just paint the the backdrop and then I'll begin to apply these texts to our, our lives. The scene where Jesus spoke these words is the temple area where the theologians and religious scholars were debating the complexities and the requirements of the Jewish faith. The time is in the middle of the week in which Jesus would be crucified. Days before, the crowds had seen him triumphantly enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Just the day before, he had overturned the tables of the money changers and merchants and boldly declared in chapter 11, verse number 17, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And just prior to our text, a crowd had gathered around this rabbi, this this teacher, who had amazed them with his masterful answers, his authoritative teaching, and illuminating insights into the kingdom of God. Now, the religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus with his words. They were looking for some way to get rid of this menace, this threat to their popularity. But Jesus always silenced them with his masterful answers. Then according to Matthew chapter 22, verse number 35, the Pharisees deputized a scholar of religion, one who sought to interpret Old Testament law, and they armed him with a curly question that they they thought they could test and trap Jesus. Interestingly, in Mark's account of this story, this man is portrayed as quite sincere. So maybe the Pharisees were using this genuine man for their own deceptive purposes. And this is where we come to our text. In verse number 28, it reads, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? This is tantamount to asking, Are you orthodox? 
Out of all that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, which command is the highest priority? Which is the primary one? What's the most important thing that God requires? What does God see as the greatest thing that a person can do with their life? What does God God consider to be the pinnacle of human achievement? In other words, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And this is what Jesus said, verse number 29. The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself, for there is no command greater than these. So Jesus answered that there wasn't just one greatest commandment, there were actually Two great commandments, love God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And those two inseparably are the great commandment. Now before commenting on this twofold commandment further, where did Jesus get this quote from? And this quote comes from Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5, which read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This passage is the first part of what is commonly known as the Shema. The Shema is the Jewish confession of faith, and it begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It is called Shema because the, the meaning of the first word is, here, the Shema is a major creed in Judaism. It was recited twice daily, morning and evening, by devout Jews. It stresses the unity of God, the importance of obeying His commands and loving Him, and valuing His, His Word. And the people of Israel commonly repeated these words to remind themselves that they worship the one God, as distinct from the neighboring peoples around them who worshipped many gods. And the second part of it says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that comes from Leviticus, not my favorite book, chapter 19, verse 18, among a cluster of laws about community life. Now, to all appearances, it would seem that Jesus has given an, an orthodox, classic answer. But this seemingly orthodox answer was power-packed with application. It was like Jesus was saying, the implications of this are more than you realize. You Pharisees think that you please God because of you always keep the rules and the regulations. But it doesn't come from the right inward motive of loving God. And you Pharisees are certainly not loving your neighbors as yourselves. And the implication and the application of Jesus' words are immense and life-altering. And to emphasize the importance of these two great commandments packaged as one, Jesus claimed that they summarize his own teaching and the entire revelation of God. Listen to what he said. Matthew chapter 22, verse 40 reads, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Paul um, commented later in Romans 13, verse 10, Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And with God first and neighbor second, in the words of Michael Green, all else in the law is commentary. So for Jesus, the whole law and the will of God are summarized as a wholehearted response of love for God and to our neighbor. 
What God wants us to know of the whole Bible is rightly represented in this twofold command. Love God and love people. And friends, today, if we want to fulfill our potential as a human being, we've got to love God and love people. If we want a sense of completeness and wholeness, then we need to love God and love people. If we want to do the will of God, then we need to love God and love people. If we want to please God, we need to love God and love people. If we want to fulfill obedience to the Word of God, we need to love God and love people. If we want 2021 to count, we need to love God and love people. Now, now that we've looked at the background of the text, what does it mean for us? And what I want to do is just go through the first part of the great command, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And to do so, I just want to bring out three key words that describe how we can love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Number one is this. We need to love him exhaustively exhaustively. If we are to truly love God with all that we are, then we need to love him exhaustively. Listen to what the Lord said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And a vital point as we unpack this is that our love for God is a responsive love. In the words of 1 John 4, 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. And the scripture teaches that God is love. In his very essence, in his very being, God is love. And we wouldn't even know what love was, except that God sent his son to die for our sin. 1 John 4 verse 10 says, this is love. So we're about to get a biblical definition of love. And he wrote and said, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is defined by the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because of God's love, we have got life both here and now and into eternity. Because of God's love, our sins have been cleansed. Because of God's love, the stain, the pain, the shame of our sin has been taken away. Because of God's love, the power of sin and the claim of Satan are broken over our lives. Because of God's love, I am now blood-bought and I am now spirit-indwelt and I'm a heaven-bound child of the living God. And because of God's love, I can now know Him and draw near to Him with unhindered access. Because of God's love today, I am free, I am forgiven, I am His and He is mine. All because of his love. And let me repeat again. Our love for God is a responsive love. And therefore our love for him must be as all-encompassing as reflecting his love for us. And because the whole of our lives was the object of God's covenant love, the whole of our person must respond to him. Our love must be exhaustive. Our love for him must be comprehensive. Our love for God must come from what constitutes us as redeemed human beings. Nothing must be held back from God because God held nothing back. And Jesus' purpose in using the four words, heart, soul, mind and strength, was to show that a person's total being must be involved 
in loving God. And he very intentionally used the word all. But what does it mean to love the Lord our God with all our heart? It means that we love him spiritually. We love him from the core of who we are. We love him from the center of our being. We love him from the inner source from which everything else flows. What does it mean to love the Lord our God with all our soul? It means to love him emotionally, to love him from our will, volitionally, to love him from the seat of our desires and affections, to love him passionately, to love him from the part of us that makes us utterly unique from every other person. What does it mean to love the Lord our God? With all our mind, it means to love him thoughtfully, to love him from our intellect, to love him with all of our understanding. What does it mean to love him with all our strength? It means to love him bodily, to love him practically, to love him with all of our physical capabilities. And if our love for him is to be exhaustive, then we must give attention to those parts of our lives which rob us of pure and passionate love for him. If I am to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, I must never allow anything to pollute my heart. I must guard against half-heartedness. I must guard against a divided heart. I must guard against having sin in my heart. I must not allow bitterness or unforgiveness in my heart. I must value Him as the most important thing in, in my life. If I am to love him with all of my soul, it means I must choose to put God first. I must choose to live in obedience to God and his word. I must choose to give time in intimacy with God. I must choose to make God the deepest desire and affection of my life. For example, friends, there are many things that I love. I love cricket. I love the AFL. I won't mention my team because you'll boo me. I love the commentary. I love the do- uh, all the documentaries and biographies and learning new things. I love to visit places I've never been to before. I love photography. But my love for those things must become a way, way second to my love for the Lord. And if I am to love the Lord with all my mind, it means that I must devote myself to the study of the Word of God. I must purposefully ponder and reflect upon God and His Word. I must give deliberate intention to breaking old patterns of thinking, breaking wrong mindsets and breaking sinful ways of thinking. I must allow the Spirit of God to bring renewal to the very way that I think. If I am to love God with all my strength, I must not just use my physical energy for anything and everything to the neglect of God and his kingdom. And I must offer my body as a living sacrifice for his service as a spiritual act of worship before him. Let me conclude this point on loving God exhaustively with the words of a Catholic monk and abbot, St. Bernard, who wrote, The measure of our love to God is to love him without measure. For the immense goodness of God deserves all the love that we can possibly give, give to him. So if we are to love the Lord our God exhaustively, it means to love him with all our heart, not holding back all our soul, all our mind and all our strength. Number two, a second word that describes how we can love God with all that we have is to love him exclusively. Listen to what the Lord said, love The Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The focus of our love must be God 
exclusively. For there are many things in our lives that vie for our attention and affection and love. But to fulfill the great command, we have got to love God preeminently above all. Now, of course, we we love family, we love our friends, we love those for whom God gives us love. But what we're speaking about here is having an indisputable priority, which is to love God. What does it mean to love God exclusively? It means that we love him alone as the one true God. In the second of the Ten Commandments, it it explicitly says in Exodus 20 verse 5, to not bow down to them, that is idols, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. The Old Testament Israelites were to worship the one true God exclusively. And friends, today we have got to be very careful that nothing and no one ever becomes an idol in our hearts where we give greater worth and worship to that thing than to the Lord himself. There is no other God. There is no higher God. There is no greater God. And therefore there should be no higher love for anything or anything except for God himself. Do you remember when Satan was tempting Jesus? And, and, and in one of the points of the temptation, uh, Satan showed Jesus all the, kings, the kingdoms of the world and said in Luke 4, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. But Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And if we are to really love God with all that we have, we have got to love him exclusively. And every other desire and love that we have must become a very distant second to loving him. And if we are to love him exclusively, it means loving God for who he is, not just what he does. We don't just love God because of the blessings of protection or provision or guidance but we love him for who he is as our God. We don't just love God's hand, what he does for us, but we love his face, that is, who he is. We, we don't just love the blessing, we love the God who blesses. We don't just love the healing, we love the God who heals. We don't just love the, 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 the provision that God gives us, we love the God who, who provides. Because the danger is, if we just love God for what he does for us, Our love for him will be dependent on external circumstances like our health and provisions and relationships. Friends, our love for God is not dependent just on what he does. Our love for him is dependent on who he is. We don't just love him for the things that he does for us. We love him because he is faithful. We love him because he's merciful. We love him because he's kind. We love him because he's good. We love him because he's unchangeable. We love him because he's always there. We love him because he's for us. We love him because of the cross. We love him because of all that he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Therefore today, let's love him not just when things are going good, but despite what is happening in our life, that we would lift our lives and we would lift our hands and we would lift our voice and we would say, God, I I love you for who you are. And to love him exclusively also means that our love for God is greater than our love for ourself. Do you remember that time when the prophet 
Agabus tied Paul's belt around his hands and feet, prophetically signifying that Paul would be handed over by the Jews to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. And the believers in Caesarea pleaded with Paul not not to go. But Paul answered in Acts 21 verse 13 and said, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And later he wrote in Philippians 3 verse 8, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul's love for God was greater than his love for himself. His love for God was greater than the greatest drive that we have as human beings, which is self-preservation. He was prepared to lay down his life for Jesus because he recognized Jesus was his life. Without Jesus, he just had an existence, but Jesus was his life. But sadly, so many people are are, are self-consumed, self-centered and uh, self-absorbed. And they can't love God because all they think about is me, me, me all of the time. Loving God exclusively also means loving God more than our sin. Our love for God has got to be greater than our love for sin. Our love for God has got to be greater than our love for illicit pleasure. Our love for God has got to be greater than our love for personal gratification. And why do we sin, friends? Because often we love it. We we love what what it brings to us. But I can say today, if sin were anchovies, I would never sin. If sin were country and western music, I would never, ever sin. If sin were a cue... I would never sin. Why? Because I do not like those things. And we've got to get to a point in our lives where our love for God is greater than our love for sin. And we don't want to grieve Him. We don't want to hurt Him. We want to have a life that is pure and pleasing before Him. May we today, in Jesus' name, have a love for God that is greater than our love for sin. And if we are to love Him exclusively, it also means that we love Him without distraction. Do you remember that time when Mary and Martha, who were two two, two sisters, opened up their home to Jesus? And Mary sat at Jesus' feet, listening to what he said. Martha was busy with all the preparations, trying to be the consummate host. But agitated by her sister's seeming inaction and unwillingness, she blurted out and said in in Luke 10, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Listen to what Jesus said. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed, and Mary chosen has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now listen to what Jesus said. You were worried and upset about many things. Implies that Martha was distracted not only by the demands of, 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 of providing the food for, for the gathering, but with many other things that plagued her mind. And Jesus basically said, and you can insert your own name here, Martha, the really important issue at the moment is not preparations for the meal, but being with me. And you're upset and distracted and worried and anxious and preoccupied. But really, only one thing is important, and that is listening to me. And friends, if ever there was a word for us today, 
It is that. May we love the Lord our God exclusively. And number three, last one and the shortest one because I have one minute left and it's about to go red up there. Number three, if we're to love God with all that we have, it also means to love God extravagantly. To love him extravagantly. If we are to truly love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, we need to love him extravagantly. And as we consider what the loving God has done for us, the most natural reaction that we should have is to love him extravagantly. And it should flow out of that relationship the Bible calls sonship. The fact that we, the redeemed, the undeserving, are now the children of the living God. And by extravagantly, I mean that we would love God. God without limitations. We would love God without restraint. We would love God without religious jargon. We would love God without tradition. We would love God without artificial barriers. We would love God without self-consciousness. We would love God without the fear of opinion. May we be like David when the ark was coming back to Jerusalem. 2 Samuel 6.14 says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. And even though his wife despised him for what she considered was and undignified and demeaning for a king. He expressed his love to God extravagantly. And may we have that same heart as well. Let me conclude the point with a story from Luke, 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 Luke 7, where it records that Jesus was reclining at the table of a Pharisee called Simon. And hearing that Jesus was in Simon's home, a prostitute entered uninvited. And this prostitute knelt above Jesus' feet And she wet his feet with her tears and then dried his feet with her hair and then she kissed his feet. And then she brought the most expensive thing that she has had, an alabaster jar of perfume, and she poured that perfume on his feet. It was an extravagant expression of love. Simon the Pharisee said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus posed the question, Oh, Simon, there were two men who owed another man a great deal of money. One of them owed 500 denarii and the other 50, but the man cancelled the debts of both. And then Jesus asked, Now which of them would love him more? And Simon replied and said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. And Jesus said, Simon, I came into your home and you did not wash my feet as is the custom. But this lady has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you did not greet me with a kiss when I came into your home as as is the custom. But this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you did not pour olive oil on my head, as is the custom, but this lady has poured expensive perfume on my head. And here is the point. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. But those who have been forgiven much, love much. Friends today, when we think about what we were, and when we think about what we would have been if it wasn't for Jesus, can we not come before him today And love the Lord our God extravagantly with everything that we have and not hold back. And in summary today, we've been looking at the great commandment, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we've been asking today, how can we love him like that? Number one, we should love him 
exhaustively, not holding back, but with all that we are, that we are saying to him, God, with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, I love you. That we would love him exclusively. We would love him alone above every other love. We would love him not just for, for what he does, but for who he is. We, we would love him above our love for ourselves and our sin. And we would love him in an undistracted way. And thirdly, we've seen that we, can, we should love him extravagantly, without religion, without tradition, but with passion and with heart and soul. And as we look at the year ahead, I want to encourage you in the name of Jesus. Yes, it's good to have goals. It's good to have ambition. It's good to have a sense of focus. But above everything else, what does the Lord ask of us today? To love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and let everything else become secondary to that primary goal. Would you mind standing with me, please?